welcome to New Creation Ministries Sermon Podcast. Do you consider Jesus to be Lord over all areas of your life? The little storms we face reveal how prepared we are for the storm we will all face one day. This week, Pastor Mark teaches and reminds us to discipline ourselves to test every spirit to see if we're in the faith. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that um, you're here with us right now, that we matter enough that you would be here with us and you're here to speak to us. You know what each person needs in the room. You know what we need as a body. So, Father, we pray that you would meet every need. Speak to us, God. Speak the words that we need. Give us eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. And give us the grace to not only be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, the church says amen. Amen. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you all. And uh, we, um, it's pretty, pretty neat. I was just having a little flashback. Y'all know every time they say the kids dismiss, y'all see me get up and go out with the kids because I always go, I'm nervous. I always go to the bathroom before I get up here. So it's just a nervous time for me. And so last night as I get up and go, um, my son, who was never in the bathroom, happened to come in the bathroom. And um, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth sometimes. And he's such a jokester and stuff. So as I'm, he knows I'm nervous before I get in. So before, when I'm in there, so he actually is leaving the bathroom before me. And before he, he stops and he looks at me, and I think he's got some words of encouragement for me. He says, don't suck. <laughs> I was like, praise the Lord. Words of encouragement. <laughs> so. But hey, if you have been fasting with us, that's awesome. If you have not been fasting with us, it is not too late to start. Um, we go six days on, one day off. This is our day off. It actually starts at the end of service on Saturday, and you're off until we pick it back up Monday morning. So it's not too late. It, your, your reward is just the same. All right? Your reward is just the same. So you start, jump back in with us. Um, you can start this week and continue to pick up. And um, if you're not getting the devotionals, please let us know so we'll make sure you get those. But we send out devotionals daily on Slack and on Facebook. And if those who aren't on either of those, we um, text them to you. So if you're not getting those, please, please let us know. And, and our focus for our fast has been discipline. We're, we're focusing on discipline. And we went through all the scriptures last week about how God calls us. Remember the word disciple describes a person who has a disciplined life. We're disciplined learners and followers. And we discipline ourselves to walk out the things that we learn. And so last week we went through, um, as we talk about discipline, um, this week we wanted to continue on. And so this week you're, we're going to talk about test every spirit, um, discipline part two. Test every spirit, discipline part two. And so last week we went through 1 Timothy um, 4, 1 through 10. And so my purpose was to pick it up this week and go 11 uh, through the rest of 1 Timothy 4, but I feel like the Lord paused me at verse, just on verse 11. Shannon, if you can read that, 1 Timothy 4, 11. Prescribe and teach these things. Yeah, that's where the Lord stopped. And I was ready to keep going through the rest. He said, prescribe and teach uh, these things. And uh, don't be alarmed, it's just a water bottle. <laughs> like, but the, uh, and, and so what are the things he's saying prescribe and teach? 
Well, he's saying all those things we talked about in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 10. Stop. He says, prescribe and teach these things. Teach the importance of the things he's talking about in verses 1 through 10, which in that scripture, that focus was about being constantly nourished by the words of faith and having sound doctrine. Being constantly and consistently nourished by the words of faith and having sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So this is very important. When we look at that first portion, when it says the Spirit explicitly says in later times, some would fall away from the faith. And I don't think we can just glide past that. Jesus said in the last days, there'll be something they call it the great falling away, that many will begin to fall away from the faith. This is important. I don't think we, we spend enough time talking about these things. Like we spend a lot of energy targeting the lost. Um, I think we miss educating the immature. I think we miss educating the deceived that we spend so much time the lost, the lost, the lost, but there's so many people, man. Do you know when Jesus' ministry, when he charged our ministry in the first book, in Mark, in the book of Mark, he comes into the church and sitting in the church was a demon-possessed man. Sitting in, he was a regular part of the worship and he was demon-possessed to the place where Jesus had to drive a demon out of, but he was at church. And I don't think we take enough time even ministering to one another in the church, Right? And so we, we need to be this thing where we are, um, where we are ministering to the young in faith. Because I think to not, to have somebody get saved and then just plug them into church, get them in some kind of activity, and not develop them, that's like spiritual child abuse. It's neglect. If we, the man said, go make disciples, not converts. So when we don't make disciples, oh, yeah, we're glad you raised your hand. We're glad you gave your life to Jesus. Now just jump in there. Just imagine, that's like having a child and just sitting them on the front porch and say, man, go, I'm glad you're born. That's what we do. Glad you're born. Here's a bottle. We'll see you later. Glad you, oh, glad you got saved. Here's a, here's a Bible. Church starts at this time. Have a good life. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is you taking somebody under your wing and walking with them just as you, you would never leave an infant with a bottle on the front porch. Man, do you know, who's got a Bible? Do you know to hand somebody this thing, this is a sword. You hand an immature person this thing, they're going to cut other people up and cut themselves up, Right? I'm amazed. I always tell people how many people just give their kids a Bible at age five and six. What rating would you give the Bible? If you had to give it a movie rating, what rating would you give it? <laughs> we hand our kids a rated R book and then expect to teach it in a G-rated way. Y'all just figure that out. No, we're called to walk with people in this. And I don't think we do that enough. So what happens when we don't minister to young seekers, then they are easy. we're turning them over to what's called seductive spirits, the scripture says. Doctrines of demons, right? Doctrines taught by evil spirits 
designed to lead people astray. I believe, it, again, I call it for the church, it's unintentional child abuse. It's neglect, right? We don't teach people how to safeguard themselves against deception. The first doctrine of demons we see is Eve, Adam and Eve, right? When the devil comes along and asks, did God really say? And Eve gives the word. And then the devil says, that won't happen to you. See, the doctrine of demons starts right away. Like, surely if you disobey, God knows if you eat of the tree that you'll be like him. The core of that temptation is the same thing that pulls people away today. Remember what Eve looked at the tree with the word at first, but then the next time she looks with her senses. Good for the eye, pleasing to the eye. Good for wisdom. Good for food. What's the temptation there that we still have today? Um, the good you see for you overrides the word of God. The good you see for you overrides the word of God, right? If a person is not content with the good God has provided, then what they'll do, they will simply go outside of what God has provided and give themselves what they think God should have. And right, that, and that is the doctrine of the demonic. That ha that's why so many churches today, it's such a me-centered message. Here's what God's going to do for you. Here's what God can do for you. Here's what God can do for you. And that is not the message. And so, so many times we, people, we turn people over to that. And that's why people begin to fall away. Part of it's on the church. We only talk about them when they're gone. <laughs> you didn't minister, minister to them while they were here. It's not too late. It's not too late. But the scripture focuses that we have to, you have to discipline yourself to avoid falling away. There's two schools of thoughts when the scripture talks about falling away. The one school of thought is this person was walking with Jesus and they were once walking with Jesus and then they stopped. And the other school of thought is this person was never really walking with Jesus. Well, I believe Scripture supports both of those. You see people fight on one or the other. There are a lot of times in the Scripture, it's both. Jesus, Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. Amen? And then he says, those who aren't against me are for me. Which one is it? Amen. See, that, that's, that's all you can say. Which one is it? Amen. One, one Scripture in Proverbs, correct the fool according to his folly. Then another scripture says, don't correct the fool according to his folly. Which one is it? Amen. We always want to fight for one or the other. Now, I believe the first one that a person really was walking with Jesus and stopped, I believe it's possible, but I think it's rare. According to Hebrews chapter 6, it says, if a person has once walked with the Lord and tasted that spiritual heavenly gift, and decided to walk away from the Lord, it says it's impossible for that person to come back to repentance. What could you tell that person to bring them back if they've already experienced the heavenly? Like, I already know. <laughs> yeah, I know what happens. I don't care. Like, that, that person exists because it's in the scripture, and it's rare. It talks about the person who had escaped the corruption of this world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then found themselves entangled in it again. 
That person exists in the scripture. But I do think that's rare. I think we often see more than not the false convert. And we're going to look at that because the key is, I believe, in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, when he says, test every spirit to see if it's from God. 1 John 4, 1 through 2. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have, come out in, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Let's look at that first scripture, because many false prophets have gone out to the world. Church, when we see verses like that, if the word says many, why do sometimes we act like they're not any? If, if he said many, and a lot of times you look at that word many, it translates majority. So if there's all these false prophets and false teachers out there, why do we just act like they're not there? They're here. They're alive and well. And the thing is, what did Jesus say? He didn't say you would, you would know them by their preaching. He said, beware of false prophets. You'll know them by their fruit. But he makes it very clear. See, now, I, I like with some people, we got some people who are like, uh, I used to be on this website years ago, I had to get off of it. It's called like pulpit, pulpit pimps. And all it did was track down people they thought was pimping the pulpit. And I was like, oh, there's another one. There's another one. But truth, but then I stopped that years ago. Whenever you read a scripture about false prophets, the first place I look now is not on the website or not behind the pulpit. I look in my mirror. But where are false prophets? The first place you better look is make sure you're not one. Because believe it or not, you preach to more people than I do. Everywhere you work, everywhere you go, you're preaching. So the first place we want to look, church, because I know people are like, yeah, let's talk about these false prophets. Start in your mirror. So because look at what, what Jesus says. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. He says, so by their fruit, by their fruit, you will know the true or false by their fruit. What Jesus is saying is the fruit never lies about the tree it came from. When you gauge your own Christianity, are you looking at your fruit and then naming the tree? Or do you look at your fruit and make excuses for the tree. I'm normally an apple tree. I just slip up and produce oranges. I just slip up and produce oranges now again, you know? But trust me, I'm an apple tree. God's working on these oranges. Right? Come on, come on. Like, do you, if you were really going, see, Jesus teaches this. We, you ever notice he's the least talked about and least taught about person in churches every week? Because you can't make up a bunch of stories about his words. He says, cannot. And we say, oh, nobody's perfect. An apple tree gives an orange now and again. You might get a banana once in a while. Look at the fruit and name the tree. Instead of looking at what the tree's supposed to be and making excuses for the fruit. 
We doing all right? He says, that's how you know the true and the false, right? Look at verse 2. He says, you'll know this because every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God, right? Like, he's talking about this. Understand this. A false prophet's purpose is to give you a false message, but to be a good false prophet, it has to have some truth in it. Because here's the goal. What if I can get you to accept the name Jesus, but not the real character of Jesus? What if a false prophet brought you to Jesus, but he didn't bring you to the Jesus of the scripture? But he gave you some of the attributes that turned you on like, yeah, he loves me. Yeah, he forgives me. Right. Do you know they were doing this down in Texas one time? They were the Satan worshipers were intentionally infiltrating churches. And they were infiltrating and setting themselves up as Sunday school teachers. So they could begin to teach the children about Jesus and get them to accept a Jesus that wasn't in the scripture. And then when the child became older and they encountered the real Jesus from the scripture, they rejected him and the church because that's not the Jesus that they wanted. See, the Bible says the devil masks himself as an angel of light. And so we got to understand, he says, beware when he's giving these warnings. How many times the scripture warns over and over again? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure in your faith. I, I hate giving these kind of messages, honestly, because I see how y'all look at me. But the reality is the most important thing I can do as a pastor is to help you make sure that you're saved. And the most important thing you can do as a child of God for your friends, if they're really your friends, is to make sure they know that they're saved. How many friends that we make excuses for because they call themselves Christian? They love Jesus, but I just don't understand why they keep doing this. You just answered your own question. I know they love Jesus, but, but what? If that was anybody else that you didn't know, what would you call it? So sometimes I take the face off it because I believe this. I believe many people believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe many people believe he raised from the dead. And many people believe the Bible is true. The question then is how can people believe and not be saved? Look at Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I don't know if you haven't caught it. The issue is not that you believe, it's what you believe. So you can believe Jesus is the son of God. But that says confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And many people love Jesus the Savior. But they don't like Jesus the Lord. Meaning he's going to run every aspect of my life. My public life and my private life, he is Lord. And if you ever talk to people, I do, I do research, I talk to people. I ask them, tell me why you came to Jesus. Listen for words they don't mention. Repentance. 
is one that very few people were mentioned. Repentance, they only talk about hell. They often mention something emotional. I was lonely. I needed somebody to comfort me. I went through a hard time, and he was there for me. I went through this, and he did that. That's great. He can do all those things, but that's not why he came. He was not up in heaven and said, man, Reggie's having some financial trouble. Geez, go get on a cross. He was not up there. Summer doesn't have any friends. Go get on the cross. That is no. Under, yeah, baby said that. No, no, no. Amen. Is he your Lord? And do you believe it? Do you believe he's your Lord? Because true belief produces actions that support that belief. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you won't do what I tell you. We live in a time now where people are more educated than ever. I know what I'm supposed to do. That doesn't mean he's your Lord because you know what you're supposed to do. Are you doing what he's supposed to do? You know, somebody says, well, what would Jesus do? I said, that's a great question, but why don't you follow this? What did Jesus do? <laughs> do what he did instead of asking that question open-ended. What, what would Jesus do? Well, what did he do? Do that. But here's the scary thing. When Jesus talks about the false believer and the false prophet, he said, on that day, they'll tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Oh, you saw us at church. You saw us feeding the poor, right? Come on, you saw us even handing out tracts. And he says, away from me, I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you at one time and you went away. He said, I never knew. But wait a minute. How in the world did they do all that stuff if he never knew them? My amen corn is good. The, uh, think about Jesus said if you don't worship him, he'll get the rocks to do it. Are rocks saved? <laughs> rocks don't have a soul. Rocks are not saved. There's no such thing as a saved donkey. But God used a donkey to bring a message. Just because God uses you doesn't mean you are in right relationship with God. Wicked Saul prophesied. Come on, we're reading Isaiah, right? When you read Isaiah, you just know God's upset with some folk <laughs> who ain't doing what they're supposed to do. But here's the thing that blows my mind about Isaiah. He said, I'm going to use the Assyrians <laughs> to punish my people. Do they know him? No. 
Now, Craig, now this is nuts. The crazy thing is then he said, but don't worry. I'm going to punish them for what they did to you. God is unpredictable, right? But God uses people all the time. The gifts come without repentance. So often we associate God's gifts with God's pleasure. He said, I, when they say I prophesied in Jesus' name, Jesus says, or, or cast out demons in Jesus' name, Jesus says a demon can't cast out a demon. So if somebody cast out a demon, they did it by the power of God. So God used that person and the power of God to cast out a demon. Now, if you saw that live, you'd be like, that person surely is a child of God. Come on, you, see somebody, you ever had somebody prophesy and they were right? You'd be like, okay, that has to be a child of God. No. There's been wicked prophets. There's a prophet by the name of Balaam. He prophesied some right stuff. He was not right with God. Your gift is not your identity. And you will not be judged on a day of judgment based on how your giftings. He says, away from me, you who practice lawlessness, meaning you who live a life as if I don't matter. There are a lot of people in the church who live just like atheists. Atheists don't care what God thinks, and a lot of people in the church, they don't care what God thinks. I see a guy, I'm going to get with a guy. I don't care if he's with Jesus or not. See a girl, I'm going to get with a girl. I don't care if she's with Jesus or not. You think just like an atheist. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But, that, but that's, see, that's how they wrote it down. The right reading of that scripture, the fool says in his heart, no God. Meaning, I'm going to say no to whatever you say. So the issue is not whether you believe he's the son of God. The issue is, is he your Lord? And the only way you really know if he's your Lord is when the storms come. So like in that scripture we just read, understand the little storms we face. See, the big storm at the end is God's judgment. The little storms we face Reveal how prepared we are for the storm we will all face. You know what a little storm is? Your marital problems. You know what a little storm is? Your sickness. You know what a little storm is? All the drama you see around us. Those are all little storms, but they reveal something. The way you handle those show who your Lord is. Do you seek God on how to handle those little storms? Well, that's only the overflow of what's going on. Look at 1 Peter 6, 1 Peter, um, verse, verse 6 and 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What is the purpose of the trial? The purpose of the trial is to show you if your faith is genuine. The great church cop out, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And with every trial, he shows you what he knows. And the way you respond to that trial 
That is your heart. Right? Come on. If, if I told, if I said, Trinae, you're a loser. That wasn't really on my heart. Sure it was. It was so much on my heart that it overflowed out of my mouth. That meant in my, in my heart, I've been calling her a loser to the place where my heart vomited it out of my mouth. Actions are heart vomit. I didn't slip up. I might have slipped up and let you hear it. <laughs> but there's no thing as slip up sin. You meditate on it, you plan it, and you do it. You didn't slip up and do it. I've, I can't think of a sin I slipped up and did. Might have slipped up and got caught. So, but what he's saying, this trial was designed to show you something. Y'all, this is some of the most important stuff, and this doesn't excite churches, doesn't fill churches. He keeps, but it, mate, do you ever just read the Bible word for word like we're doing now? And come on, as you're reading Isaiah, how many times have you run into the phrase, I love you so much? How many times have you run into the phrase, I got a wonderful plan for your life? How many times, oh, I got a beautiful purpose for you. And I'm guaranteed, now, you read the scriptures about, read Jesus, you'll find even less. Years ago, one of my spiritual daughters came to me in the college ministry and was like, Pastor Mark, we don't talk enough about the love of God. I was like, sure we do. I said, we talk about the love of God all the time. She was like, well, I don't hear it enough. And I was like, well, I want you to get in your Bible. And I want you to come back next week. But I want you to write down every time Jesus says the words, I love you. Verse of the time, he says, love me, love the Father, love other people. She said, all right. She went home. Next week, she came back, jaw dropped. Pastor Mark, <laughs> he hardly says I love you. But that, now, if you just came to church, you would think that's all he says. He just loves, 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 and he lives to forgive. No, Jesus says some harsh stuff. If something's causing you to sin, chop it off. Better you to go to heaven without it than to hell with it. That's Jesus. Jesus. Get yourself, meet the woman at the well. Right? Hey, give me, the, give me a drink. He didn't say please. He's God. Give me a drink. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him and he'd give you living water. And she's like, give me this living water. He's like, bring me your husband. Just met this woman. Bring me your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You had five and you're shacking up now. That's that's woman. That's he just met this woman. That is the Jesus we're talking about. The same God we're talking about says the people in Romans, it says the very people he rescued, he later killed them in the desert. Because of their complaining. How many of us be dead? I don't think we know this God. And I think that's why we play these games with this God. Where the, the, like, about lordship, not friendship. See, the problem is when we start relationships off with friendship. The relationship with God does not start off with friendship. It must start off with lordship. If one day Stephen's girls are like, hey, Steve, what's up? I think that'd be a problem, right? Can you imagine your kids just talking, what's up? 
Just use your first name. Man, Jeremiah better not even try. What's up, Mark? Oh, you must be. But how many people, look. But how many But listen to the listen to the base of the friendship. If you do what I tell you, he detract his glory for the sake of friendship. But if you look at that verse, it says, "What I love that scripture says." So when your faith remains strong through many trials. Didn't say your faith going to remain strong just through that one trial. Some of them, oh, I went through the biggest trial of my life. Praise God. I'm good now. No, more coming. And it says when, you're, and, and the, when your faith remains strong through many trials. Let me just be, uh, this Bible gets me in trouble all the time. The word of God says, he who endures that one trial shall be saved. Who who endured half their Christian walk will be saved. It says, he who endures to the end. It's not just a few trials. It's many trials. And there'll be trials all the way up until the day you know are no longer here. But the same power you used over one should be the same power you use over another. Some of us just haven't been asked the right question. See, I already made up my mind. God, I'm, I'm giving you my yes before the questions come. Some people haven't been asked. Well, some people, when they get asked the right question, well, God, I ain't going all that way. He says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, that will be praise and honor and glory to God. You know, you know that you know you're saved as your faith remains strong through many trials, meaning given temptation and opportunity, I'm going to keep choosing God's way. No matter what comes my way. See, I've already made up my mind. See, people get that one scripture wrong in Romans when he says nothing will separate me from the love of God. And people always use that. That means God's going to stop, you know, that God's never going to stop loving me. That's not, the devil is not trying to get God not to love you. That's an impossibility because God is love. If you read that scripture in context, it says, we are thrown to the dogs. We are thrown for, we are treated for slaughter all day long for your namesake. So it says neither heights nor depths nor famine. Does God face famine? So he's talking about things that God faced. What he's saying is, Paul is saying, I've gone through all of those things. And I am convinced that nothing will ever stop me from loving him through Christ Jesus. Amen. That's called a holy determination. And those who are true followers of Christ have a holy determination. I don't care what comes, who comes, what she looks like, what he looks like, whether I lose my job or keep my job, whether I got a home or homeless, nothing on this side will separate me from loving him because he's already given me all I need. See, I don't think we understand that. There's a holy determination there. That we have to, that, but through many trials, I'm already ready for them. Look what that scripture says in verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. How many times do you know people who've been disappointed with God? And as a result of their disappointment with God, they left God. Their disappointment reveals their unbelief. Not the feeling of disappointment, 
the action of disappointment. Understand that. Love is an action. Hate is an action. Forgiveness is an action. Disappointment is an action. The disappointment of, of, of the unbelief is now I'm going to distance myself from this Jesus because I'm so disappointed with him. Why are we disappointed? Because we think we deserve something and he's not giving it to us. Just show me one promise in this word that he has not kept. Now, there's promises you think he should have made that he never made. He didn't tell you you always be happy. Did he? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He kept that promise. Every promise in this word, he has kept. But our disappointment comes from an expectation outside of him. Let me give you, let me give you an equation. <laughs> and there's many equations, but your expectations minus Scripture plus disappointment equals confusion, pain, and offense. Your expectation minus Scripture. Always like, where did your expectation come from? Did your expectation come from Scripture? So your expectation minus Scripture, you've already set yourself up for disappointment. Plus disappointment equals confusion, pain, and offense with God. God, why didn't you? How come you didn't do this? If I'm, I deserve this. Then the next equation is you take that confusion plus pain and offense minus Scripture, and you add in a worldly solution, and that's the recipe for falling away. What do I now do with this pain and confusion? Well, the world now offers me solution. I take the world solution, and I fall away, fall away. Y'all heard the phrase people started using nowadays, I need to deconstruct my faith. You ever notice the folks who deconstructed their faith? Look at them now, where they at? They deconstructed their faith without scripture. What they wanted to do was deconstruct the biblical scriptures and add in what they think the world should look like. And that's their new faith, a me-centered faith. And now most of them aren't involved in church or faith at all. Deconstruction of faith in the scriptures is called apostate. A person is now going to separate themselves from those things. Here's the scary thing, though. These folks can have this spiritual thing going on. They, can might be have a, they might have this thing going on with the name Jesus. The scripture says they can actually endure for a while. They might not even know. You don't know they false. They might not even know because you don't know what's in you sometimes so you get squeezed. Look what Luke chapter 18, chapter 8, verse 13 says. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. So they're sprouting up, but they don't have the firm root of Jesus being Lord. They're gifted. They're doing this. They're doing that. It says they do good. They believe for a while. That could be a long while. That could be years. That could be years. And then when that one adversity hits, they fall away, revealing that they had a faulty foundation. It's funny, I would, I would run into people 
and, um, and doing college ministry. And I remember I'd, I'd see a young lady. She's like, I'm pure. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to stay pure until I get married. Well, she was single the whole time. Then once you introduce a guy, oh, Pastor Mark, I can't believe. So she was sure she was going to be pure, but there was no one around. Easy to be pure when there's nobody around. She found out the heart was her commitment for real when the enemy sent something. You know, the enemy sent something, and first thing they say, well, this is God's doing this. God sent this person. God sent this person to sleep with you. So a lot of times you understand, you may not even know that you know until you get tempted. I love those I must be saved moments in my life. I'm always looking for those. I always say, God, give me the grace for today. Give me the grace to say yes for today. Because sometimes things will rock your world that you never thought would rock your world before. And you're going to find out something about yourself. And I always say, God, when I got temptation and opportunity, I'm glad I still choose you. Give me the grace. Because, man, because I know I must be saved because I know they don't let people talk to me that way. Anybody ever had those must be saved moments? People don't normally talk to me. Man, before I got saved, I loved to fight. Nobody wanted to fight. After I got saved, everybody wanted to fight. I'm like, man, I must be saved to let you say that to me. Praise God. Oh, I must be saved. Hey, when you fasting, you must be saved. Because <laughs> come on, man. You give them, you're not eating or drinking for 40. Mm. You just, or you, or you just sick <laughs> if you're going to do that, right? Look at verse 8, chapter 8, verse 8, 14. Chapter 8, 14, Luke 8, 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life, of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So this is a scary one because they actually produce a fruit. But then they try to get all tangled with the world. And their fruit never reaches maturity. So you think you're doing good with your little immature fruit. Question I ask the church probably a couple times a year. How long have you been saved? And where are your disciples? Because if you're saved and he said, go and make disciples, where are your disciples with that command? That is the fruit God wants to see. Please don't think we're going to show up to God empty handed. Remember the parable of the talent? The dude that showed up empty handed. How well did that go for him? I think a lot of us think on the day of judgment, we're going to show up like, here I am, God. Here's the salvation you gave me. You think you're going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the parable of the talents is the only time he ever says, well done, my good and faithful servants in the scripture. And he only said it to those who reproduced. So my question to the church, how long you been saved? Where are your disciples? Where's your fruit? Did something Stop your fruit from maturing. I know you believe in discipleship. I know you believe in sharing the gospel. Why are we not putting any legs to it? One thing that bothers me about the church world, we will complain about the world. And we're part of the problem. Because if everyone in this room was making disciples, we'd change how our world looked. If every one of these buildings that says their churches was making disciples, we would change how our world looks. We sit back, we pick, a, we pick a political side, and we think a president is going to change the culture. 
He ain't going to judge them. He gonna, the judgment starts with the church. And I'm telling y'all, get to know this Jesus. He is not playing. He, he loves people so much that he's commanded every follower of his to go reproduce. If you're not making disciples, y'all, I love you enough to ask you this question. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life that matters to God? Not that what matters to you. What are you doing with your life that matters to God if you're not making disciples? 1 John 4 and 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. Everyone, it says, look, that doesn't confess that he's Lord. That's not God. That's not from God. The spirit of Antichrist, Antichrist does not mean against Christ. It means instead of Christ. A lot of people have the instead of Christ. Instead of Jesus' way, I'm going to do it my way. That's the spirit of Antichrist. I don't have an issue with Jesus. I'm just not going to do it his way. I gotta, I'm going to do it my way instead of Jesus' way. I won't even consult to see what Jesus' way is. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. And it's alive and well in the kingdom of God, y'all. And the thing about the Antichrist spirit, it resembles Christianity. The devil masks himself as an angel of light. Looking all throughout scripture, right? The enemy comes riding in on a pale horse. Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Jesus is a lion. The enemy is always into counterfeit just to get you to sway you enough over to say, I'm spiritual. But it's about lordship, y'all. It is not about mere existence of Jesus. It's about the authority of Jesus. Worship team, you can start working your way up. Look what he says in 1 John 4, 4 through 5. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. He is telling you don't fall for the trap, y'all. Listen. Sometimes you just got to get honest and say, there's a lot of worldly stuff inside of me. There are people who just admire the world. How you know? A one-hour movie is too short. But a one-hour sermon is too long. It only costs $10 outside of church. $10? Anybody got change? <laughs> In church. There are people, you just, look, the world, they, they got a doctrine. And they quote the people they admire. And guess what? The people in the church world today, they're quoting the same people. They know more about what's on YouTube than they know what's about in the book of Isaiah. I don't know how many people messaged me this week, did you hear what Cat Williams said? I'm like, who's that? <laughs> Glad some of y'all like me. But some other folks are like, I know what you're talking about. Because why, why are we have this thing where we know, man, we are in love with the world and we admire them and they hate you, according to the scripture. He says, but if you were part of the world, they listen to you. So, man, why am I so comfortable with the world? Why is the world so comfortable with me?
Maybe you're part of it. Because when you stand up for Jesus, you'll find out pretty quickly from the world that they don't like you. But they're watching you. Because even deep down, even though they're in the world, some of them are looking for a way out. And they're just hoping, man, Mary's this Jesus freak. Uh, we can make fun of her then when I get alone. Like, but I hope, I hope it's real. I really hope it's real because it's got to be more to life than this merry-go-round. Y'all, stop trying to be a part of the world. It doesn't like you. It doesn't end well. It never ends well. He says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What is that saying? He's in the world. He's talking about the devil. He's saying you have more power than Satan. Think about that. You have more power than Satan because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And some of us will not know how to even tap into that power until we get tested, until we examine ourselves. Let me share a story with you about getting tested. I remember when I was young, my, uh, my sister is three years older than me. She always dated guys older than her. And um, years ago, you know, when I was like, I was probably in like seventh, eighth grade, me and my boy, we won this little tag team wrestling belt. Back then, we just thought wrestling was real. And it was this nice belt that somebody made. I have no artistic ability, but I had this belt, man. And I was like, took so much pride in this belt. So my sister, boyfriend, comes over the house. And we're down in the basement. And um, she goes upstairs. And he's like, what's up with that belt, shorty? And I'm like, I'm the champ. You know? He was like, I'm going to arrest you for that. Now, I'm thinking, he wants to earn brownie points with my sister. He's going to let me win. This boy put such a licking on me, wrapping me up. I'm like, this dude is serious. And I'm like, when is my sister coming back? I mean, he, I'm literally, he probably beat on me for about five, ten minutes. He's like, got my arm. He's like, I'm going to break your arm, shorty. But because I had my eye on that belt, I was like, you got to break it, man. I mean, we wrestled about 10 minutes. It felt like an eternity. It's the worst pain I've ever felt to this day. And he didn't take me. He didn't beat me. And after that, I knew there was something in me that helped me went around my neighborhood. And I wasn't saved at the time, so I can't say it was all good. But around my neighborhood, nobody could take me because I knew there was something stronger in me. When you go through the challenges of life, you're going to find out how great the power is in you. Come on, have you even gone through something and you're still standing with Jesus? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you, but you don't even know it. You don't even know it, man. <laughs> I don't like to preach the movie. What's, uh, what's my movie, man? With the grasshoppers. A Bug's Life. <laughs> Remember in A Bug's Life when, when Hopper was standing in front of the little ant and the ant was like, and we're stronger than you think you are. We, then you say we are. He says, and you know it, don't you? You are stronger than you think you are with Jesus. And the enemy knows it. He just keeps trying to punk you into believing you're just some weak, sorry saint saved by grace. No, grace is power. You are one of the most powerful people on the planet. You are a child of God. But you need to make sure you're a child of God in order to take hold of that statement. So you want to discipline yourself during this fast to be a seeker. 
Discipline yourself to be a seeker. Don't take anything at face value. Don't even believe me. Believe the word of God. Don't trust me. Trust the word of God. If it's in the, you're accountable for the word of God. Discipline yourself to test every spirit to see if it's from God. To be a Berean, like in the book of Acts, he says they were more noble than other people because they would hear the word of God and they would go back and examine the scripture to make sure it was true. Yeah. That's who we're called to be. So he loves us enough to warn us and say, in these last days, a lot of people are going to fall from the faith. Many are going to have revealed that they were never really with Jesus. He was never their Lord. But today he loves you enough to say, I'm giving you an invitation to be your Lord. Because only if I'm your Lord am I really your Savior. Just close your eyes for a moment. And you can just examine yourself. Is there any area in your life where he is not Lord? Just go ahead and ask him. He'll show you. Don't shake it off. That first thing that came in, that's him speaking to you. Don't shake that off. He says, I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. And if you give me that, you'll get all of me. And you'll find out that you never really needed that thing. And you'll find out that I'm all you need. And you'll find out you're one of the most powerful people on the planet. You're a child of God. After you get a hold of that thing, well, you bring it up and lay it down for Jesus. You can create an altar where you are. You can make an altar right here. And then take communion, the great exchange. I'm giving up more of me to get all of you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning into our sermon for this week. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. To learn more about New Creation Ministries, please check out our website at www.ncm.life.